the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, he is, and he's here to say hello. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Lifeline for the 12th of March. Great to have you with us today. Good to have a little sunshine with us as well. And uh, hopefully this trend is going to continue. I hear rumors by the weekend we'll be in the 70s. I'm, it's time to break out the sunscreen and, you know, <laughs> head to the beach. We haven't talked about 70 temperatures around here in a long time. Not that we're complaining about the rain, but a little sunshine would be nice to see. any rate, whatever the weather is, we know it's going to be another interesting commute home for you. And as always, we've got Michael Bennett hanging out in the KFAX Traffic Center. So keep you safe and sound. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be visiting later on in hour number two with Pete Peterson, the Dean of Public Policy at Pepperdine School, and um, talk a bit about some of the attention that um, the junior congresswoman from New York is getting and whether or not the so-called Green New Deal is a new deal or a raw deal. That'll be coming up with our conversation with Pete Peterson a little bit later on. Also, constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Brad Dacus will be joining us. And as we lead off the discussion today, you've seen a lot of this. In fact, I got corrected the other day. I referred to that place where the San Francisco Giants play as AT&T Park. And I was told, no, 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 no. That is now Oracle Park. I said, wait a minute. I thought Oracle was over here in Oakland. It gets very confusing after a while. Well, if you're confused, just imagine taxpayers and local residents. And this is going on all over the country where local cities and municipalities are deal-making, whether it's naming rights of stadiums and parks or perhaps attracting corporations to relocate their offices and headquarters. Lots of that wheeling and dealing going on behind closed doors. We're told publicly it's going to bring jobs to a community. It's going to bring prestige to a community. But in the end, is it really the public and taxpayers that benefit or the politicians and the stockholders and the private and public organizations? Who really benefits from these deals? And at the end of the day, should this brand of welfare, as some might call it, really be extended to publicly traded companies? Well, to offer some insights in this arena and many others, we are joined by best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. Bob, of course, is the host of The Bob Zadek Show airs here in the San Francisco Bay Area and across the West Coast every Sunday at 8 a.m. here locally in the Bay Area on our sister station, 860 a.m. 
The Answer, radio home of the Oakland A's, and uh, you can catch Bob's show every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. He's got a new book out, by the way, called Power to the States, How Federalism 2.0 Can Make America Governable Again, and we'll tell you more about that a little bit later on in our conversation. Meanwhile, Bob, is always, a privilege to have you join us. And a pleasure to be here, as always, Craig. Thank you for the generous invitation. Bob, let's talk about this, Uh, the so-called tax deals. And and we've seen this in the news most recently in New York, where a bunch of ballyhoo deal to attract a multi-billion dollar corporation, Amazon, to place its headquarters in the Big Apple, seems to have kind of uh, gone by the wayside. It it, it slid slid off into oblivion uh, quite quickly. And I guess it leaves a big question here. When leadership of local communities... Uh, be it members of a city council or uh, mayors or whatnot, or even at a higher level at the state level, engage in these so-called negotiations. Oftentimes, they sweeten the deal by uh, providing uh, uh, certain tax incentives. And I and I have to wonder, at the end of the day, uh, are many of these municipalities essentially really just enhancing the profits of the companies and doing so at taxpayer expense? Well, that's a you know it's. It's a, such an interesting question, and the Amazon New York City deal, and we really don't know if it's going to come back or not. As you know, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, has interjected, uh, has put his own prestige on the line, has uh, announced he is determined to save the transaction. He made this somewhat famous phone call person to person to Jeff Bezos, had a conversation with him. We don't know what they said. But this controversy, Craig, for us journalists, has so much going for us. It's delicious. Look what we have. We have the wealthiest individual, a capitalist, Jeff Bezos, on one side. We have the bluest of blue states, New York on the other, a state which is, along with California, the two highest taxing states in the country and the most liberal of states. Not as if that was not enough. We have Amazon, which wants to build, allegedly, a 27.5, a new facility in Queens. Why is Queens so interesting? Well, because it's the home county for everybody's favorite socialist, AOC, uh, Anastasia Ortezio, uh, Cortez, Ortezio Cortez, who, whose district is in Queens, and she is an avowed socialist who campaigns against or in favor of soaking the rich, punishing the rich for the crime of being successful, and she, her district is involved. And so we, we have, we have Amazon who went to New York and said, okay, we like Queens, and we propose to build a huge new HQ2, a number two headquarters, right in Queens. And we're going to give jobs and benefits, and we will probably generate $27.5 billion with a B, in tax revenue over a 25-year period. That's $27 billion new tax revenue that New York wouldn't otherwise have. 
sounds like a pretty gosh darn good deal to me. But Amazon and New York, in order to sweeten the deal, says to Amazon, and just to make you feel really at home, we will give you $3 billion of tax breaks. And if you read what has been written about the tax breaks, the $3 billion, it's based upon and calculated upon the actual generation of tax revenue. So New York is not just out of pocket $3 billion. They are saying, okay, we stand to benefit to the amount of $27 billion. We'll kick back of the $27 billion benefit $3 billion and will settle for 24 Sounds like a pretty gosh darn good deal to me for New York City. Well, the liberals and the uber-liberals and the uh, socialists were up in arms and said, no way, Jose, we're not going to go along with that. And there was uh, profound political opposition, and they put the kibosh on the deal. Now, was that a giveaway to Amazon or the best deal on the planet for New York City. Well, all Amazon did is negotiate the amount of taxes it would generate or it would benefit. Instead of $27 billion, um, the benefit to New York City is $24 billion. So if you believe what has been said, New York is $24 billion better off. How could that be bad? Yes, Amazon gets a $3 billion benefit. But, Craig, if anybody was offered, hey, I will give you a $27 billion benefit if you give me $3 billion, how could the how could the person to whom the offer is made say no? Hey, listen, well, Bob, if you if you said that to me, I just say uh, and I want to make sure is that Zedek uh, Zedek with a with a Z or an A. That's that's all I need to know so the spelling is right on your check. <laughs> no, and I would I would ask uh, a four word question: Where do I sign? Exactly. So how could this? So, so instead of just focusing on the benefit to Amazon. Who cares about that? Focus on the benefit to New York. And if politicians rejected the deal, what they had to say was that the other politicians who negotiated the deal did a really terrible job. Well, I don't know if they did or not, but I tend to doubt that the politicians who spent whatever number of months they spent in negotiating the deal, I tend to think they they devoted more thought to it than the politicians who scanned the deal for about 15 minutes saw its money going to Bezos, and on the basis of that, plus the polls, rejected the deal. So anybody, so the politicians, including AOC, who reject the deal, would be, have to say that they, on the basis of no information or whatever, are smarter and more competent than the politicians, Cuomo, de Blasio, none of whom I'm particularly fond of, but they, they were the ones who did it, and all of the staffers who did all the numbers, that everybody who worked on this deal is a moron, and AOC and the other local politicians are much smarter. Kind of hard to believe. So this was an example of headline-grabbing at an obscene level, punishing people in New York City who would have stood to benefit 
from 20, if you believe the numbers, by $24 billion. All that happened was the deal went from $27 billion benefit to $24 billion benefit. How could anybody reject that deal? But that's what went on. Well, what's curious about all of this is, so here we sit in a union of 50 states. We have some states that have state income tax, like California, others like Nevada that do not. Some have higher levels of taxes, some have a, a local sales tax or a statewide excise tax, others do not. And for the longest time, we've seen a sense of competition amongst the states. They may try to attract new business because they have a particular uh, brain pool available. They've got universities nearby that can provide the resources, the human resources necessary, maybe natural resources. They're located next to uh, a coastal region that allows for international shipping. Certainly the notion of being able to provide tax breaks is something that has attracted businesses from one state to another for the history of America. Why all of a sudden is all the nitpicking going on here? I mean, the, the notion that there would be a little bit of a sweetening of the pot to attract Amazon would seem to be good negotiating to me. And after all, if you have something for which somebody else could get an enormous benefit, what in the world is wrong with you saying, in exchange for me giving you this special quality or machine or know-how that I have, in exchange for you getting an enormous benefit, I want you to share it with me. That makes sense. And, Craig, oh, there's a lot of written material, a lot of scholarship, scolding municipalities for getting involved in bidding wars, just as you said in the intro to the to this topic, to get sports teams and the like, and there's a lot of scolding going on that these never work out to the benefit of the municipality. And a lot of my colleagues in the libertarian community have written uh, and scolded municipalities for doing that. I have a slightly more nuanced approach. I will not scold a municipality for the mere act of offering an enticement to a major league team to come there, offering tax benefits. I will not scold them per se. All I say is, if they do it for reasons of status, prestige, they want to be an NFL city for all the good that that means, that's kind of vacuous and shallow, and it doesn't really benefit the citizens. But if they do so because they were skillful enough to negotiate a deal where they get a measurable, tangible benefit... I will not criticize a municipality for doing that. It's simply a question of, did they do a competent job and negotiate a transaction that is, to use a nice capitalist phrase, mutually beneficial, both sides benefit, or did they give keys to the kingdom to some NFL team where they got no benefit whatever. If they did the former, mutually beneficial, they did a competent job and they are uh, skilled politicians. If they did a dumb job for the wrong reasons and they were out negotiated, then they did a bad job. Just like a business person, Craig, just like you and I when we sell a used car on Craigslist. Either we did a good job and we got the price we wanted and the other person got the car they wanted and both sides are happy, or did you do a dumb job negotiating and you got your clock cleaned? So the transaction per se is neither good nor bad. It's 
how did it work out for both sides? That is the test. And at the end of the day, if you're engaging in negotiations that are going to bring to an area tax dollars that benefit all the community, jobs which benefit the community, it's hard to argue that that's necessarily a bad deal, though there seem to be few that will not be satisfied no matter what the outcome. If you don't bring the jobs and you complain that you've not done good enough of a job in order to attract new business to the region. And when you do, they say, well, as a result, all these new jobs, people are making more money, the house costing, the housing cost has increased, and therefore we're now suffering from gentrification. I mean, you can't win. Bob Zadig is with us today, syndicated talk show host. You can catch Bob's program, by the way, the Bob Zadig Show, every Sunday morning right here in the San Francisco Bay Area on 860 AM KTRB, The Answer, the Bay Area radio home of the Oakland A's. Always compelling conversation that not only digs deep into the issues, but most importantly, offers you some perspective on what the answers are as well. We'll take a time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation with Bob Zadek. And when we return, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, seemingly always in the news. Too much to do about nothing? We'll talk about that next as our conversation with syndicated talk show host and best-selling author Bob Zadek continues. All right, let's get a look at traffic here for you. Real quick, we'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center at 520 and say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Hey, Michael, how are we doing out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek is with us. By the way, more information about Bob's show, lots of resources, including podcasts of past programs, as well as his books, the most recent of which is called Power to the States, How Federalism 2.0 Can Make America Governable Again. The book and more information available on Bob's website at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, you mentioned Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the uh, junior congressman from New York, who these days seems to be getting more attention than the uh, the former junior senator of uh, Wisconsin, I think it was, uh, Joe McCarthy, who, who uh, uh, <laughs> would she get put this way? She gets as much attention as Joe McCarthy might at a young communist convention. <laughs> I, I have to wonder, uh, does she really have the CV to come in? and critique some of these deals the way she does. It seems to be nothing but a stream of consciousness in pushing towards socialism or uh, uh, her version of democratic socialism. What do you make of her? Well, first of all, she has the CV to criticize these deals for the reasons that she states, because if you have no, if you make no sense whatever, the requirements for the CV are quite minimum. So therefore, given the level of discourse that she offers, she is more than qualified to be uh, a, a totally nonsensical politician who has somehow acquired star power, but it certainly is not for the quality of her discourse. So yes, 
she does have the CV, but in a strange kind of way. And what she has focused on, she has not focused on whether or not this transaction was good for her constituency or good for the city that she, in a way, represents. She focused solely on it was a benefit to business. And when you focus only on one side of a transaction, no transaction makes sense. I referred earlier, Craig, to you and I hypothetically selling a used car on uh, on Craigslist. If the transaction was, if you only focused on the amount of money you were paid and ignored the fact that you gave the buyer a car, then the transaction was really dumb for the buyer because all you say is the buyer paid money and you don't focus on the other half and she only focuses on the money that amazon got and by the way amazon didn't get money at new york's expense what happened was the enormous benefit if you believe the numbers that new york was getting is now diminished by 10%. So instead of getting 100% fabulous benefit, it got a 90% fabulous benefit. But if you only focus on what Amazon got, of course it's a bad deal, but that wasn't the transaction. So that's the nature of her discourse. Plus, every transaction is examined from the standpoint not of whether it's a good deal for both sides, but when you are a democratic socialist or a socialist or whatever label du jour you put on your point of view, if you focus only on what does it do, does it transfer wealth to people who are poor? Does it give jobs to people who may not deserve it? Does it end up reducing the wealth of successful people? If you only measure it by those very stilted matrix, matrixes, then of course it was a bad deal, because it flunks the test. The only f deal that's a good deal is if a person with more money writes a check to a person with less money. That's the only transaction that makes any sense. So yes, on that basis, she's more than, than competent to be really silly. So the real appeal here then appears to be her ability to um, couch arguments that directly appeal to what should we call it the lowest common economic denominator, I suppose. Well, or she appeals to pure emotion, and what socialists do, they do this very interesting conversion. They talk about the right to health care, the right to a job. What they do is they determine that if you want something, merely because you want something, that becomes a right. Well, Craig, that means you and I have hundreds of rights we didn't even know we had. There's lots of stuff we want. We don't have the right to have it. We have the right to try to get it. We have the right not to be interfered with if our attempts are lawful, but we don't have the right to actually achieve it. Just because you want something doesn't mean you have the right to have it. Just because you want free college doesn't mean giving it to you is a matter of right. And that's where socialists get it wrong. They convert things you want into rights. And if we supply all the rights, all the things people want, if the goal of society is to give 
everybody everything they want, then who ends up paying and society and economic life is destroyed. Yeah, I say the, the whole world as we know it essentially collapses. Bob Zadig is with us today, nationally syndicated talk show host, best-selling author. His new book, Power to the States, How Federalism 2.0 Can Make America Governable Again. Available now online. You can get more information at Bob's web- website, bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Let's take a brief time out. When we come back, drill down a little bit deeper on this whole equation of um, so-called democratic socialism. We know certainly there are plenty of countries that, that practice it, but is it the same brand that's being promoted here in the United States? And does it make sense to come out and say we want to guarantee jobs and yet do so in a free marketplace? How, how does that work? We'll find out as our conversation with best-selling author and talk show host Bob Zadek continues. Right now, though, we're going to pause to get you an update on traffic. Six, six, time warp. I jumped ahead two hours, didn't I? <laughs> I'm prepared for the time change a year from now. Let's get, let's get a look at what's going on at 5.32 on the clock from Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let me remind you, you can catch Bob's program every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m. The Answer, radio home of the Oakland A's. Check it out. Bob's got lots of great resources, too, including podcasts from previous shows and some of his books, including his latest Power to the States, How Federalism 2.0 Can Make America Governable Again. Book available at Bob's website, Bob Zadek. Dot com. That's bobzadek.com. Bob, I guess to the ears of many, things like free education, universal health care, jobs guaranteed, that all sounds real nice. Except to the adults in the room that listen to that and say, you know, while those things might make you feel good, at the end of the day, we all know there's no such thing as a free lunch. Or at the end of the day, there's no such thing as free education, free jobs, or free health care. And yet these seem to be very essential to the platform being promoted by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a growing number of socialist Democrats, including Bernie Sanders. Where do they get this from? I mean, do these people really believe that they're going to be able to create a utopia that provides all of this literally for free? Are they ignorant or are they just more political talking points? Well, no comment about whether they're ignorant or not, because uh, I don't do name-calling or, or ad hominem attacks. So I have no idea if they're ignorant and not an issue. Whether they're right or wrong, I have lots of, con- lots of ideas about that and lots of opinions on that. And, of course, when anybody is promised free anything, as you pointed out in your introduction, it's not free. It's free to the recipient, but for sure somebody is paying, and for sure the people who are paying are the participants in this phone call right now, as well as all of your listeners. Somebody is paying. So the, so 
when you hear free anything, that is really code for a wealth transfer from somebody with money to somebody who maybe, maybe has less. Maybe they have more. That's kind of irrelevant. But government decides that some other human being on this planet is more entitled to the fruits of your labors than you are entitled to it. That, to me, is sinful. Nobody is entitled to the fruits of my honest labor other than me. Now, for sure, for sure, there is a morality that people should carry and a morality that society should encourage. And that morality includes, as all of your listeners know and follow so well, that morality is generosity, caring for others, giving, if you have enough or more than enough, you will share it with somebody who doesn't have enough. Human beings are inherently good, in my opinion, and they don't need the point of a governmental gun to make them be generous. We are inherently generous. But when you hear free something, we are forced to be generous, not being generous out of the goodness of our heart. We are generous because if we're not generous, we go to prison. And that takes all of the pleasure out of using your money to support somebody else and makes it into a compulsion. And government is robbing me of the feeling I want to give myself by being generous. You don't feel generous if you're generous with a gun pointed at you. And government is robbing the citizenry of the unique feeling one gets from being generous and giving away your property to somebody else who needs it. And that, to me, is the, the most anger-inducing aspect of what these people are proposing. They deny me the ability of being generous. They force me to be generous on their terms, not on my terms. There's also a degree, Bob. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Of a, 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 there, there's a degree of being disingenuous in all of this. In that, when purveyors of the free education, free health care, free uh, jobs or job guarantees promote all of this, and and people like you and me bring up objections, they're quick to say, "Well, wait, you, we have Social Security, we have Medicare," and they try to say that this is nothing more than a simple extension of that, and yet. The way I understand it, when it comes time for me to collect my Social Security, I will have paid into it a lifetime of working. Same thing true with Medicare. So those things really aren't free. When Social Security was enacted in 1933, President Roosevelt knew it was really a welfare system. It was a wealth transfer. But he could not sell it as such because the American population, far different than today, was any receipt of welfare was shameful. And had he said, I have created a welfare system where certain groups provide welfare to others, it would not have been supported. So he called it the federal, he called it social security insurance, old age insurance. His thinking was, and he was clever, 
that if he promotes it as a governmental insurance plan, well, insurance, you buy something and you get back what you bought later on. Everybody then felt good about putting money into the system to buy it because they were buying something that they were going to get back. And since it's a pay-as-you-go system, which means what you pay in has nothing to do with what you're going to get back, so that as a business model, it's a failure, but people don't know that. And Social Security has survived because it was disguised. It was a welfare system disguised as a business transaction by calling it insurance. And so, yes, other programs may be an extension, but it's an extension of a welfare system, which is nothing other than a wealth transfer. And I maintain government should not be in the business of compulsory charity where the government says, we will decide the charities, and we will point the gun at your head, and we will compel you to support our charities, selected through the political process, rather than the charities that, Craig, you might suggest from your heart. And that's what's obscene about the welfare system. It's charity without any voluntariness whatsoever. And, of course, more problematic is taking this to the nth degree, as they suggest, and oftentimes they will quote models of uh, places where this is, quote-unquote, working in places like France and Finland and Norway, etc., um, and, 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 of course, not quite disclose the totality of what the agenda here is in terms of state ownership of business or the major paradigm shift of, of transferring wealth from the, the haves to the haves-nots. Those details they tend to conveniently leave out. Craig, you said something right now, and I'm so glad you did, because it it gives me a chance to help our listeners out there understand a great deal about the public conversation. You said uh, people will say the system in France works, and you use the term, it works. Now, that's a very, very interesting word. By what standard can you say what they do in France works? Are you saying it works because there has not been a revolution? Because it doesn't work if you measure economic growth. It doesn't work if you measure the fact that people who are producers are leaving France and going to England where they can earn, where they can keep more of what they earn. So people will say, gee, Medicare is working. But what is the test? It's only working if you identify the standards by which you measure that something is working. To me, anything that deprives somebody of their property against their will to give it to somebody else per se cannot be working. Now, by the, by the politician standard, it does work because they successfully take my money and I don't commit suicide and I work some more. So by those standards, it works. But those are bad standards. By my standards, those policies do not work. So be very sensitive when you hear somebody claiming a policy or a program or a law is working. You have to ask yourself, by what standards have you concluded it works? 
All right. We appreciate that insight, Bob, because a lot of people oftentimes, again, we hear this uh, constantly on the public stage where they say, well, it's working so well here. It's working so well there. Never taking the time to define what do they mean by working and working for whom. You can catch more of Bob's great insights on The Bob Zadek Show. His program, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer, Bay Area Radio, home of the Oakland A's. He's also also nationally syndicated, so if you've got relatives living in other parts of the region, want to find out more about the show, tune into the show. You'll find a uh, complete listing of all the affiliates that carry the program on Bob's website, along with a whole plethora of great resources, information about his most recent books, as well as podcasts from previous programs. Check it out online at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. And our thanks to Bob Zadek for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. All right, 547, let's get caught up on some traffic here, shall we? The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. There is a troubling case that really exemplifies utter disregard for First Amendment rights by the Veterans Department. And when you hear the circumstances, it should send a chill up your spine, as it did certainly me when I read the story. Let's get some more insight first, though, from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. And Counselor, it's always great to have you on the program. So an 84-year-old widow is apparently now a threat to the good night's sleep and safety and security of members of a California veterans home. (laughs) Tell me more about this terrifying threat. Yes, she's 84 years old. Her name is Artis Brough. And and, uh, you know, her and her husband moved into the home about 10 years ago. She was a chaplain, uh, serving as a chaplain. Uh, and uh, her husband fought in the Korean War, World War II. She was working for the Pentagon uh, during the Korean War. So they really sacrificed a lot. Her husband passed away, and uh, she's been serving as a chaplain. Well, one person complained about her, uh, her sharing the gospel and about heaven and hell. And he had insomnia, and they called and. And so they said she can no longer be a chaplain, put her on suspension for that. Well, then she, you know, that was last September. Well, she decided to continue, though, um, having a Bible study for those who wanted to have a Bible study with her. She lived there just like everyone else in the home. And, uh, and as it turns out, they've since ordered her to cease and desist having any Bible study, communion with anyone there in the home, uh, or she will be evicted and thrust out into the street. Huh. Here she is, someone defending religious freedom, defending our liberties, her sacrificing, and the home that she's in to, with people who do that, want to kick her out because she is having a Bible study, a voluntary Bible study for those who want to participate. And it's all because one person said that they didn't like what their discussion that they had with her. And, um, you know, a lot of people have insomnia when uh, they're convicted on something. So, 
I don't think that's elder abuse. They called it elder abuse and emotional abuse uh, just because she uh, shared the gospel with someone who didn't uh, want to hear that. Well, that, 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 that seems to me to be completely inconsequential to her leading a, a Bible study in the home. I mean, what, what are we saying then, that in the course of the day, residents in the home may not engage in conversation with other residents that they might find uh, disquieting or uncomfortable? I mean, uh, what, if you get uh, two people in the room and one is a Giants fan and the other one is an Oakland A's fan, that that uh, the uh, the Giants fan can say, oh, don't talk to me about the A's, I'm, I'm I'm having traumatic uh, uh, stress disorder over it. I mean, come on. Well, that's basically what they're what they're doing. And unfortunately, though, uh, we're talking about who is here, and she sacrificed her and her husband, and she's going to literally she's going to be booted out, evicted, if she doesn't cease and desist from having a Bible study with with a small group who want to have a Bible study with her there in the home. And some of these people, uh, you know, they you know, Craig, they can't get out on their own. Uh, they're they're in the home, and this is the only opportunity they really have to uh, be ministered to and to study the Word and be encouraged in the Word in this uh, final chapter in life. Uh, and she is just filled with the love of Christ and committed to, to sharing that good news. Uh, so we at Pacific Justice have already sent a, a strong uh, demand letter to the, the state, and we're waiting to hear back from them, but we're definitely weighing our, the legal options that she has at this moment. It certainly seems to me as if there is just total disregard going on for this woman's religious freedom rights, uh, the right of free expression, the right to exercise her faith, the right to assemble. I mean, there, there's so many things wrong with this at so many levels. Uh, and I have to wonder, are they as heavy-handed with everyone else? I mean, what if a Scientologist comes in? Are they prevented from talking about the fact that they love Tom Cruise? How far does this go? Yeah, that's a, a really good good question. Uh, what we think this is, and what she thinks this is, it's a reflection of how many in the chaplaincy, in the military, uh, we have some great chaplains, but what we've seen it from the higher up end is a, a purging, if you will, of chaplains who uh, share you know, doctrine as far as the gospel, uh, as opposed to just uh, being uh, generic uh, about God and the lilies of the field. Um, apparently, that's, uh, that's what, what many in the chaplains w- want, and unfortunately, that's not what people need, especially those who, uh, on a volunteer basis, want to be ministered to uh, by someone who uh, really has a, a heart of deep conviction and, and, uh, and hope. Well, and certainly, I mean, if this is a case where she was sharing with a person of a Jewish background and they said, you know, I, I have my own faith, I don't want to hear any more, fine, end of story. But how you continue that to, and oh, by the way, she can't share her faith with anyone else, nor she can, can she conduct voluntary Bible studies um, inside the home because it would make people feel uncomfortable. I mean, it just uh, two and two equals six in this case, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, we're not... Thank you. We're not talking about harassment here, where she repeatedly, continually, uh, you know, went to this person, and the person said, "Leave me alone, leave me alone." That's not the facts at all. It was one discussion, one discussion that they both had, voluntary discussion, and uh, and she shared the hope that's within her, and the person didn't like it, and uh, because of that, they're going to muzzle her or kick her out um, with the total lack of humanity and, and respect that she deserves. 
You almost get the feeling that there's a bureaucrat somewhere behind all of this that says, we don't want problems, we're going to nip this in the bud, and uh, doing so without a hint of understanding of what the United States Constitution protects. Exactly. Uh, I think that's exactly right. They're trying to uh, take, make the, take the easy way out and, uh, and just uh, purge her, silence her, and... And that's uh, unfortunately we you know we've got a constitution that doesn't say you take the easy way out you take the right way out and that's making sure people's uh, fundamental rights are, are, are uh, respected and preserved. Um, does this get handled at the state level um, because it's the California VA? Is this how how nasty do you think this thing is going to get? Well, hopefully we get it resolved at the, at the state level, and. Uh, but uh, if not, then uh, there could be this case, you know, this kind of a situation could go all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, we know our Supreme Court majority right now has a pretty good re- uh, predictability for respecting the First Amendment in terms of religious freedom. Uh, so I really think that the state would be very wise to uh, turn from their, their ways, if you will, and, uh, and, and, uh, and quickly uh, reconcile this matter and uh, allow her to continue to share her faith and without the fear of being uh, suddenly uh, booted out, which is what she's living with right now as we speak. That must be terrifying, particularly uh, for a person of 84 years of age who has nowhere else to go and has been there for a long time, has uh, served her country, her, certainly her husband was in service to our country as well, and then have to get this kind of reaction is is troubling, but I guess par for the course. Well, we appreciate you sharing um, her story with us and uh, also appreciate you standing behind her to make sure that her First Amendment rights are not trampled upon. Uh, promise me you'll, you'll keep us updated on this. Oh, absolutely. And if, if people like to keep up with our cases like this, they can sign up to get our Legal Insider uh, newsletter on our website, pacificjustice.org. All right. Great place to check out. Get more information online, pacificjustice.org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, for that update. It's 6 o'clock. Get a look at some traffic here for you ahead of some headline news. The latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.